And welcome to Cornerstone Presbyterian. If I haven't met you, my name's Campbell, pastor here at Cornerstone. And we hope that you'll stay behind afterwards to have some morning tea and a chance to get to know one another and to continue the, the conversations that you might just have started. Well, today we're looking at Luke chapter 19. We are stopping Hebrews for the moment. We're going to do some one-offs and looking at Luke chapter 19 today from verse 41. So please open your Bibles to that passage. Please have that open in front of you today. And I'd like to begin with five questions. There are five questions that I would like us to ask ourselves this morning as we come to God's Word. And my five questions are these. First of all, when is the last time I invited someone to church? When's the last time I invited someone to church? Secondly, when is the last time I explained to someone why Thirdly, do I look for opportunities to tell someone why I am a Christian? Fourthly, which person am I praying for every day to be saved? And I've got a sixth question. Have Tasmanian Christians lost their sense of urgency for evangelism? That's my sixth question. Have Tasmanian Christians lost their sense of urgency for evangelism? And as I talk to other pastors around the city, there is a general feeling that we have. There's a general feeling that the the church has lost this sense of urgency for evangelism. Now, if we have lost our sense of urgency, why? What's the cause of that? What's the reason? Is it because we have focused time and energy into social justice causes? Is that perhaps the reason? Or is it because we have tried many times to share the gospel with someone and we've failed? And so we've become cynical and we've become doubtful and we've, we, uh, we, we think, well, it, it never works, so why should I try it? Or do we perhaps fear the consequences of sharing our faith? Do we fear the consequences of evangelism? Do we fear rejection? Do we fear broken relationships? Do we fear trouble in the workplace if we try to share our faith with with others there? Or perhaps we don't feel that we have the skills. I don't know how to evangelise. I don't know what to say. Well, these are all reasons why we might have lost our sense of urgency for evangelism. But from Luke chapter 19, we see that the root cause, the root cause for why someone would lose that sense of urgency for evangelism is because their hearts are not in the right place. If someone has lost that sense of urgency, it's because their hearts are not in the right place. And we see the place where our hearts should be in Luke chapter 19 from verse 41. Let's look at this together. We read, and this is after Jesus has uh, come down from the Mount of Olives and he's approaching Jerusalem. 
He's had this uh, triumphal procession so far towards the city of Jerusalem. And we read that as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Now, I don't know about you, you, you might have a, a photo at home of a particular person that makes you, when you see it, it gives you a sense of grief or you, you might weep for that person. You might feel there, there might be a certain scene or a certain place that, that evokes a sense of grief or pity within you. But what we read here is that as Jesus came down from the Mount of Olives and as the, the city of Jerusalem opened up in front of him, he began to weep. And the word that Luke uses to describe his weeping, it was a word that described the, the sound of someone weeping. It's a word that evoked sobbing, uh, wailing, groaning. It's a, it's a deep grief that Jesus feels as he sees the city of Jerusalem opening up in front of him. What caused our Saviour, to sob as he saw the city of Jerusalem. What made him groan in this way? Well, he goes on to say, our, our Lord said, if you, these, these are the words of his grief, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And so Jesus, in his groans, and as he sobs for Jerusalem, he says, city of Jerusalem, if only you had known who I was and why I came, but you wouldn't know. In fact, the, 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 the language here is a deliberate not knowing. Jesus weeps because they didn't want to know. They didn't want to know who he was or why he came. And if only you had known on this day, and, and, and there's a sense of, there was an opportunity given to you. He looks at the city and, and, and there's a sense of, God gave you the opportunity to be saved. God showed you his son. He showed you the way of salvation. And you rejected that opportunity. There's a sense of God held out his hand to the city of Jerusalem in his son. And the city said, no, we won't have you. We don't want to know. And now it is hidden from your eyes, Jesus said. In other words, God had reached out his hand. They had said, no. And God had said, well, I will give you what you want and I will hide from your eyes the Saviour and the salvation that he came to bring. You didn't want to know the Saviour, so you won't know the Saviour. You didn't want to see him, so you won't see him. You didn't want to hear him, so from now on you won't hear him. I'll give you what you want. I'll hand you over to your hardness, to your blindness, to your deafness. And Jesus weeps because he could see the consequences of this. He could see what was going to happen as a result of the hard hearts, blind eyes and blocked ears of the city of Jerusalem. 
verse 43, the days will come upon you. So here our Lord, the Son of God, he looks into the future and he sees what is coming to the city of Jerusalem. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. Literally, uh, a fence of pointed stakes will be built around you and encircle you and hem you in from every side. And this word hem, it means to, to, to press in. And it described the soldiers who surrounded Jesus after his arrest and, and pressed in on him to beat him and to abuse him. It describes the Sanhedrin as they gathered round Stephen, pressing in on him, abusing him, dragging him out to be stoned. It's the same word that our Lord Jesus used. The enemies will encircle you, hem you in on every side, and they will dash you to the ground. And, and the word dash you, it, it literally raise you to the ground. They will level the city. They will destroy the city and the children within your walls. Our Lord Jesus could see the terrible consequences, not just on the grown-ups who had said no to God's Son and Saviour, but the terrible consequences that that would bring upon their children as well. And they will not leave one stone upon another. The city would be utterly destroyed. Now, this describes, we, we're at about 30 AD here. This describes to a T what happened to Jerusalem just 40 years later. In the year 70 AD, there was a, a Jewish rebellion and the Romans sent their general Titus and he came in the year 70 AD to the city of Jerusalem and he literally built a fence around Jerusalem, a seven-kilometre fence of pointed stakes built around the city so that no one could escape. In fact, if you tried to escape the city of Jerusalem, the defenders would try to kill you as you tried to get out for being a traitor. And if you got out, then the Romans would kill you anyway. And so there was absolutely no escape from the city. And the city uh, suffered a severe famine and a huge number of people died from famine and, and disease. And then finally, the Romans broke into the city and they burned the city and they took the temple. They burned the temple after taking out all of the, the valuable objects, the gold and the silver. And they utterly destroyed the city. They leveled it to the ground. Pretty much the only thing that was left was the Western Wall, which is there to this day. It's called the Wailing Wall. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, was there, and he saw this. And he saw the terrible suffering of the city of Jerusalem, and he estimated that 1.1 million people died, uh, mostly from disease, mostly from, from the famine that, that, that was caused by the Roman siege of the city. And Josephus saw the Romans destroy that city in 70 AD. And here is the amazing thing. Jerusalem was an incredibly well-defended city. 
it had huge walls, it had thick walls, it had towers. It, it actually had a very strong army and it had a lot of food. They had a huge grain stockpile in Jerusalem. They could easily have outlasted the Romans who were besieging them from the outside. But do you know what happened? They started fighting each other. There was actually a civil war within the city. The defenders started fighting each other and in the course of the fighting, they set fire to the grain so there was no food and that's what made it so easy for the Romans to come in and to take the city. And the Roman general Titus said this, he said, God indeed has been with us in the war. God it was who brought down the Jews from these strongholds. For what power have human hands or engines against these towers? Titus said, God must have been against the city because we could never have taken it otherwise. And he was right. That pagan general was right because Jesus had foretold 40 years before that God would come against the city of Jerusalem and destroy it. And then we have the, this, this terrible reiteration of the reason for the destruction of Jerusalem in the second half of verse 44. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. God came, God came and he reached out his hand to help you and you refused. A culpable, deliberate decision to not recognise God's Son and Saviour. And that's what brought about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. God sent his son and they spat on him and they whipped him. They nailed him to a cross. They said no to God's saviour and God said, have it your way. You will get what you want. You don't want salvation, you won't have salvation. You don't want my son, you won't have my son. And so our Lord Jesus looked upon the city of Jerusalem, this lost city, this hard, this, this city of hardened hearts, and he saw the judgment coming upon the city and his heart broke and he wept and he sobbed for what he knew was coming to that city. Now, as we look upon our own city, Bible tells us that judgment is coming. In fact, what happened to the city of Jerusalem was just uh, really quite mild compared to the, 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 the final judgment when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. And the trumpet sounds and he returns with his angels and every person is arrayed before him for judgment. And as we look at our own city, we see that this terrible day of judgment is going to be an awful day for the people of the city of Hobart, isn't it? It's going to be a terrible day because our city does not know Jesus Christ. Our city does not want to know Jesus Christ. Our Lord's heart broke for the city of Jerusalem. 
Because our heart broke as we look out across our own city, as we see what's coming, as we see the final judgments and the final state of the people of our own city, especially for those that we know. Do our hearts break for our family members who don't know Christ? Do our hearts break for our workmates, those in our classroom, those on campus who don't know our Lord Jesus? Passionate evangelism will come from a breaking heart. Passionate evangelism will come from a heart that is breaking for the lost of our city. And so I, I, I need to ask you this morning, first of all, I need, I need to ask you, do you believe in the first place what our Lord Jesus teaches us about the final judgment and about hell? Do you believe what Jesus teaches about hell? Turn with me to, to Luke chapter 16 for a moment. Luke chapter 16, Jesus told the story, he said in verse 19, Luke 16 verse 19, that there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came in and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side, and he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. And Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to us. Do you believe this? Do you believe what Jesus is saying? Do you believe that there is a place called hell? Do you believe that those who have sinned against the living God and who have not been saved by Christ will go to that place? This place that, that, that Jesus himself describes again and again, a place of torment, of fire, of agony, a place where people will, will cry out just for a, a tip of water on their, on their tongue to cool them in their agony. Do you believe that? If you don't believe it, then you don't believe what our Lord Jesus himself believed with all of his heart. And why did he talk about hell so often? Because he, he enjoyed seeing people squirm, because he enjoyed, uh, you know, in, a, in a kind of sadistic way, upsetting people. He talked about hell because he believed in hell and he didn't want people to go there. He was warning people about this place. Do we believe it? Do we believe in our hearts that this is the place where people will go if they don't know Christ? 
If we don't believe that, then we won't have that passion for evangelism. We won't have that urgency. If you see a loved one walking towards this place, and you know they're going there and you love them, you'll do whatever you can, won't you? You'll say whatever needs to be said. You'll take risks. You'll pray for them. There'll be a sense of urgency. I need to tell you about what you're facing. I need to tell you how you can be rescued from this place. Brothers and sisters, maybe we've forgotten about hell. But our Lord never did. And he constantly talked about it in his teaching. Because he loved. He loved people. They needed to know. And do you believe that we are saved from hell by Jesus Christ? That we are saved from final judgment by Jesus Christ? John chapter 3. John the Baptist said, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that people can be saved from final, eternal judgment and suffering by believing in God's Son, Jesus Christ? Do you believe that they need to know about Christ? They need to hear about him. They need to know that he's the Saviour, that he came to bear our sins, so that we wouldn't have to. That he, he suffered on the cross and, and suffered the pains of hell so that we wouldn't have to. Do you believe that he rose to life so that all who believe in him will rise to life with him? If you believe that, don't you want people to know? Shouldn't everyone know? This is a, an urgent message, isn't it? A message that the people of our city desperately need to hear. And do you believe that Jesus has commissioned, commissioned us as a church to tell people about himself and to tell people how they can be saved from final judgment? In Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul said, How then can they, that is the lost, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Hear Paul's logic? It's so simple. People are saved by faith in Christ. How can they have faith in Christ if they've never heard of Christ? And how can people hear of Christ if, if someone's not sent to them? If people aren't sent to tell them about Jesus Christ. How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Brothers and sisters, I, I hope that we are hearing the cries of Jesus this morning, hearing those, those sobs of anguish for the city of Jerusalem, coming out of a heart that, that, that was breaking, 
for that city a heart of love, of compassion, and saw the future suffering of these people and their suffering, the destruction of Jerusalem was, if you like, a faint picture of the final judgment and the final suffering of those who turn away or don't know about God's Saviour, Jesus Christ. Mums and dads, what a vital role God has given you. Your evangelists, your pastors, your missionaries, missionaries to your children. And God, you, you work very, very hard for your children, don't you? I know you do, to make sure they're fed and clothed and you love them and you tuck them in at night. You make sure they get a great education and you want them to know about our Lord Jesus. I know you do. Keep going with that. Keep going with that. Keep praying for your children. Keep praying with your children. Keep telling them about the Saviour. Open up the Word and, and, and read it with your children. They need to know. They want to know. And not all of them will accept what you tell them. And, and, and we know that our children can reject what they've heard. They can turn their back. And if you've seen that, don't despair. Don't give up. Keep praying for your children. You know, Monica prayed, Augustine's mother prayed for some 33 years before her ratbag of a son, Augustine, the great Augustine, was not converted until about the age of 33. And his mother, Monica, prayed for him each and every day. Don't give up. Those of you, you've seen your children walk away where there's life, there's hope. And you've sown the good seeds. You've sown the good seeds into their heart, praying that those seeds, that the Holy Spirit will bring those seeds to life. Keep going with that, that, that work that God has given you to bring the gospel to your children. Now, for all of us, if we have a heart that is breaking for our city, for all of us, there's something that we can do. There's something that all of us can do. In fact, I'd like to, to, to suggest 10 things very quickly that we can do if we have a heart for the lost of our city. Let people around you know that you're a Christian, for a start. Not, not, not in a kind of forced and awkward way, but, but let people know. That's the first thing you can do. Secondly, ask your friends about their beliefs. What do you believe? What do you believe happens when someone dies? Where do you think you're going? Ask and listen. Listen carefully to what they say. Listen to your friend's problems, thirdly. Show compassion, show love. And if the time is right, offer to pray for them. That can be a very powerful thing. Fourthly, share your problems with others. Because as Christians, we all know that life has no problems, right? There's, uh, all our problems have, have disappeared since we became a Christian. So share, share your be real with people. Here's what I struggle with. Here's what I contend with. Here's what I battle with. 
and share how your faith helped you. These four things any, any Christian can do. Let people know you're a Christian. Ask about their beliefs. Listen to their problems. Offer to pray. And share your own problems and how your faith helps you. Then, if someone is showing some interest, perhaps give them a book to read. More than a carpenter. A, a, a classic that you can give to someone who is interested in the Christian faith. Or The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Or Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Or a book that helped you or is helping you. And then, sixthly, if a person is, is, is wanting to know, then share how you became a Christian. Share your own story. Tell people how you became a Christian. And there might have been a dramatic moment of of conversion, or you might have been raised in a Christian family. Both testimonies are beautiful and powerful. Share your story. Answer objections and questions as best you can. Be honest. If you can't answer a question, say, I don't know, but I'll try to find out. And then, if things are still going well, invite someone to church. Ask them to come along to see what you do on a Sunday morning and to hear the word of God and to meet with God's people. Offer to read the Bible with someone. That's a very powerful thing to do, to sit down and to read the word with someone or take them to a Simply Christianity course. And you're saying, well, what Simply Christianity course? Well, I'm glad you asked. Why don't you run a Simply Christianity course? And there's no reason why anyone in this church, any Christian in this church, could not run a Simply Christianity course with someone who wants to know about our Lord Jesus Christ. Five weeks reading the Gospel of Luke with someone in a structured way, anyone can do that. So here, here are ten things that, that, that any Christian can do if they have a heart, if they have a passion for those that God has brought into their life. Now, I want to finish by, by saying that there are, are those in this church who may be called to full-time word ministry. We're all called to be a part of the Great Commission. We're all called to pray for our city and to, to look at those ten things. And I'll put those ten things in next week's bulletin so that you can see them. But there might be some, and I, I believe that there are some in our church who are called to full-time word ministry. Some of you, God is laying his hand on you. And he wants you to, to be, be, become a pastor. Or he wants you to become an evangelist. Or he wants you to become a missionary, like Naomi, going to Africa. And we'll be hearing more about that in two weeks. Or to be a chaplain, a full-time chaplain, bringing the love of Christ into a high school, into a, a prison, into the hospital, or a youth worker. Young people, in particular. Is God laying his hand on you? And by young people, I mean anyone under 85. Is God laying his hand on you? 
and Christine Doonan is 84. She's the oldest person in our church. <laughs> and pray for her today. She's in hospital. She's, in, she's hurting today. So pray for her. Now, if you have, if you think you have a desire to serve God full-time as a pastor, as a missionary, as an evangelist, as a chaplain, if you are wondering whether the Lord is calling you to do this, then we need to know. We need to know. I don't think that's my phone. <laughs> I, I hope it's not. No, okay. Let me just say it again. <laughs> okay. Because this is very, this is very important. This is very important. If you are wondering and you think that God might be calling you to full-time ministry, I'll say it again, we need to know, by meaning the elders and the leaders of the church, we really need to know because we need to be praying for you and we need to be encouraging you and we need to know how to guide you. So if you're sitting there and you're wondering whether God is calling me to full-time ministry, then you need to do something. You need to take that next step. And I'm going to do something which, which might fail, but let me just do it anyway. If, if you think that God might be calling you to full-time ministry, I'd ask you to stand. Stand up. And... Okay, Joe's stood up already. If you think God might be calling you to full-time ministry, please stand. Because I want to pray for you. So let's, let's, let's shut our eyes. And if there's anyone else, please stand. I won't leave you hanging. Father, I pray for these men and women. Some are older, some are younger. And Lord, your heart broke. Your heart broke for the city of Jerusalem. And perhaps these people that are standing today, their hearts are breaking for their city, for their nation. And the Spirit of Christ is in them. The Spirit of Christ is in all of us, Lord, but, but perhaps you are laying your hand on these people for a full-time calling, full-time word ministry in some way. And Lord, I pray for these people. And I pray that, that you will surround them now with, with wise guidance. I pray that you'll surround them with with wise Christians who will uh, guide them and help to, to answer the, the, the big question that they have as to whether they should give their life to full-time ministry. And Lord, I pray that we might all be praying for these people. And Lord, I, I, I pray that, uh, that these people might grow in godliness that they might grow in their love for your word, that they might grow in prayerfulness, 
And Lord, we look forward to seeing what you will do in our lives in the coming years. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Father, I pray for our mums and dads. I pray, Father, for this tremendous calling that you've given our mums and dads to be evangelists and missionaries to their children. And Lord, I, I pray for them as th this can be very discouraging work, can be very, very tiring, can be easy to give up. And I pray, Lord, that you'll strengthen our parents, our mums and dads, to keep going as they teach, our, teach their children about Jesus Christ and help the rest of us to, to encourage them in this. And I pray for those whose children have forsaken the faith, that they will not give up praying. And we thank you that while there's life, there's hope. And we pray for salvation for those who, like the prodigal son, have turned away. And finally, Father, I pray for each and every believer here today that you'll fill our heart with uh, a great love for our city. Fill us with compassion. May our hearts grieve and break for the destiny of those who die without our Lord Jesus. And may we seek in all of life to bring the good news to them however we can. Amen. Okay, thank you, musicians.